I am so glad that you're here. A few things I want to kind of really just have a moment um, as a pastor and a friend. Here's the deal. I, I think we have two areas that we just need to continue to pray for as, as a church, one of which we, we need to stop settling um, for, for really less than. God's called us to more. And, and, and I mean that in a, in a lot of ways. One of the ways is that there's so much about him and his goodness and his grace that he's called us to, and we just kind of settle for the crumbs on the table. Is there anybody besides me that feels that way? Like that, if, if you're being real, just real talk, right? We, we were in this meeting a couple weeks ago, me and um, some of our team members here, and the group that was leading the group was like, hey, look, we're good up to 90%, but it's the other 10% nobody shares. Well, let's talk about the other 10%. The other 10% is a lot of us in this room are settling. We got a God who is amazing, who spoke all things into existence, and we settle for crumbs when he's inviting us to a feast. Okay? So I just want for a second, we're going to pray that, that we would stop settling for the little bit, for the status quo, and that we would want more from him. We can do that through his word, just getting to know him better through his word and being committed to that. This is something in my life, too. Uh, through prayer, like consistently seeking um, God. And then also the, the second thing I want us to pray for, man, is that you would understand that God has you where he has you on purpose. Like, like for real, in this room, there, there are a lot of business people, people who've been gifted in a variety of areas and a lot of disciplines. And you need to know that you are not there on accident. And you are God's representative. You are his ambassador at that place. And there are some people in your sphere of influence at that place that need to know about the hope that you have. Do you understand me? Like you need to know what you have is vital and important to their life as well. So we're going to live on purpose, and we want to make sure that we're not settling, that we're going after all that we can in, in Christ. So let's pray together for these things. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. And Lord God, I pray that we would stop settling when we have so much offered to us through your word. Like so much in your word is so good. And Lord, I pray that we would seek you there. We would seek you in prayer. We would seek you in community um, that we have. Father, I, I pray that we would also just think about like how we are gifted the way we're gifted. We're in a neighborhood the way we are. We're, we have all these things and none of them are accidental. They're all on purpose. And so, Father, that we would live our lives on purpose and think about those that don't know you just yet. And, Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide us in this. Help us think about them. Help us share that good news with them. Help us can be consistent with our testimony. Lord, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are starting um, our Advent series today, and I'm excited about it. It's very unique. One of the things that we try to do is we try to think of creative ways to illustrate the point of Advent. And there are a variety of things we've done over the years that I've been here, looking at the different um, characters that lead up to it, um, the, the women that are part of the Advent story. We've even looked at them. Um, today, we're going to look at covenants, um, the covenants in the Old Testament that really point and are fulfilled in Christ. And so we'll explain that. I want to give you a heads up. A lot of big words. Okay, I know that going in, so it's going to be a little dense at the outset. Um, if you're one of those people that, that you like getting nerdy, um, one, one of the things we, we've provided for you is notes in the back. John um, has done a great John, uh, job. He's done a great John. John has. Uh, he's been great at John. Um, anyway, so he's printed out the notes for our sermon. If you want to grab a copy of them, um, they're for you. 
because we're going through some of these big words, it'll help you. Um, and then maybe you just want to grab them on the way out. So there's that. So Advent, if, you, if you're new to this in church life, Advent means the coming or arrival of something. Like it's the anticipation of something coming. And we know that Christ has come. And so we're celebrating that. So what we're going to do is look at these Old Testament covenants that set up the coming of Jesus Christ. Today what we're going to do is we're going to combine two of them. Okay, The first one is the Adamic covenant. Right, you were just using it this weekend when you were watching the game yesterday. The Adamic covenant, right, and, and the Noahic covenant, right. These these two covenants is the covenant with Adam and the covenant with Noah. Does that sound more familiar? Maybe. Okay, if not, like I, I got the wrong group. Is this thing on. Um, so what I want to do is explain some of these terms. And again, there's I just want to kind of preview. You'll know these, right? So you know the Adamic. That's Adam. Noahic. Noah, next week, Abrahamic, Abraham, right? Mosaic, Moses, Davidic, David. And there's one with this guy named Jesus. Well, right? Okay, so we'll get there soon. I just want you to know, you know these, I just say them in these weird ways. So here's some of the terms you need to know. Suzerain vassal treaty, right? Something you talked about yesterday at halftime of one of the games. The suzerain vassal treaty, a treaty made between a superior and an inferior, okay? We see this in scripture. It's just kind of a term that's kind of associated with it. So suzerain vassal is something actually comes a little bit later in history, but it's the same concept. The concept is this, that you have someone who is strong and powerful, like a strong nation, who takes care of weaker nations. He provides for them, he protects them, does what it takes to make sure they're good and safe and all that stuff, and they have it. So that's a concept of suzerain vassal. We see this with a picture of father-son. We see this with a lord and a servant concept. But we see these things throughout Scripture, and sometimes we don't even pay attention to it, but it is here, and we're going to expose them as we continue over the next few weeks. Some of this is just an introduction for the coming weeks. Okay. Sometimes, however... We could see them in different terms. There's a bilateral or a conditional covenant is a way to say it. Bilateral means there's two people involved or two parties involved. And one of them is really looking out for the other one. But the other one has some stipulations or conditions connected to it. And then sometimes there's a unilateral or a unconditional covenant. Okay, unilateral means it's one way. It's like I'm doing all this for you. You don't have to do anything in return, but I'm blessing you. Okay. A covenant, this word covenant, um, is an agreement, and actually the Hebrew word means to cut. So it's an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. So they have some things we're going to do, okay? What I love about this is one of the the aspects of this, which we're going to talk about in a second, the idea of cutting covenant, is that they would, during the middle of a covenant, is they would cut an animal in two, and they would walk between the, the dead animal, and they would recite the stipulations of the covenant, okay? You should have been there. It's almost 22 years ago since Aaron and I first did this for our wedding. It was great. <laughs> We've been vegetarians ever since. Um, no, no, not true. But, but it's, it, that's the idea, is this, this promise going between them. And what they would say is, may this be done to me or worse if I do anything to break this covenant. That's how serious they took it. And so they had oaths and stipulations, obligations that they kept there. 
Um, they had blessings and curses connected to it as part of the covenant. And a word that you need to know that you've heard before, but I want to remind you where, where it comes from in origin is this word chesed in, in the Old Testament. And that word is loving kindness. It's covenantial love. Like every time God says that I'm showing you my loving kindness, it's the covenant he's keeping. It's his promise of love and provision and mercy to them. You know this in um, Lamentations 3 where it says, your mercies are new every morning. That word there is the loving kindness of God. His covenantal love towards us is new every morning. So that's the origin of that. So we see these. So here's some of the things I want you to see as we jump in here, is that God uses covenants to really intervene as an intervention as part of our Redemption. He uses this as his plan. And so the first one, let's just briefly look at the Adamic covenant, the covenant with Adam. We see in Genesis chapter 1. So let's, that, that's going to be um, looking at the table of contents. And soon after that, I'm just kidding, is Genesis 1. Um, and let's look at verses 26 through 28. Let's look at this together. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps because I creep. And uh, on the earth, okay, three of you. All right, so TLC in the house, right? Okay. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, real quick, I want you to just pause there because I want you to see this picture of intent in creation. You need to know that a lot of the people that you think less of, they are image bearers of God. They may not be redeemed and know Jesus yet, but they bear the image of God. People that you despise bear God's image. Just, just chew on that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And God blessed them. And God said to them, notice this call, be fruitful and multiply by three. So that's what Aaron and I did. Just kidding. We have six kids. Nobody. Okay, here we go. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. So that's the call was that they would multiply, be fruitful and multiply. And this is something that God initiated with them. Chapter 2, okay. Now, some people put this together. And, again, what I, I really want you to be equipped, okay. A lot of times preachers care about being entertaining. Man, I want you to be equipped. I want you to know this stuff. So um, this particular verse here in Genesis 2 is, is part of what some people call the Edenic covenant. That's the covenant in Eden, made in Eden, but it's part of the overarching thing of Adam. Okay, And it says here in Genesis 2, uh, 15 to 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in it, that day, the day that you will eat of it, you shall surely die. So, I want you to catch this. He says, here's what I have for you. You can have the whole garden, everything. Here's all your freedom. But here's the one thing I'm asking you to stay away from. 
And it's in that we know, right? The serpent comes soon after that, tempts, lies, and, and makes them question the, good, the goodness of God and says, surely you won't die. And then they take of it. Now, a couple of things I want to kind of lay as a groundwork, which we'll build on later, is Eden here is, is this picture. Eden is the people of God thriving in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. Okay, again, keep in mind, Eden is the people of God, those who are God's people, thriving in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. But here, this stipulation, what was the stipulation for Adam? Hey, you can have everything you want but that tree. You can have everything you want but that tree. And then the fall happens. They were deceived, and they broke their only stipulation. And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see this, this forecasting of something amazing that's going to happen. In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, he gives like curses both to, to the woman and to the man, but also starts off with a serpent. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put a gap, a chasm between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And speaking of her offspring, he says, he shall bruise your head, which means he will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now we saw that happen, right? And by the way, this is called a pre-gospel. This is a pre-good news of the defeat of Satan. Because later we see that the cross is the bruising of the heel of Christ, but the resurrection is the crushing of the head of Satan. Because that happened. And all this from Genesis 3.15. So it's important to know that. Well, as a result of these curses, what we see in, in any time in the Old Testament, you see the word curse, what's happening is it means to be cut off, to be separated from. And from this point forward, the effects of sin are felt in all creation, not just in man. From man to the ground, even the earth is hardened and different as a result of it. Everything has been cursed and every living thing begins to experience death. And then look with me at Genesis 3, 22 to 24. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live there uh, forever. Therefore, for the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, which is a cool word picture there. Verse 24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, real quick, this picture of Eden was a picture of, if you remember, right, it's the people of God thriving in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. So that's what was taking place. Now they're cast out of this place of God and the presence of God. And there's two amazing creatures called cherubim that are guarding it. Now, what we're going to see in a couple of weeks, and again, I want to preview this because your understanding of the Old Testament is going to deepen if you, if you lock in with us, is if you guys, anybody watch Indiana Jones in the ark, right? On top of it, it's the cherubim guarding the elements of the presence of God, right? It's the holy of holies. And that picture of gardening, guarding is right here as well. That, that's what their job is, is to protect the presence of God. And then 
from chapter 3 all the way um, through chapter 6, we see sinful man. We see them, and it, it doesn't get real detailed as the nitty-gritty of all the things that they were doing that were vile and nefarious and crazy. We just know that they were so sinful that God wanted to do a reset. Okay? And in his reset, he called one family. He says, Noah, I want you to build me an ark. Just you and your family are going to be saved. Okay? I want you to build this. And then, I mean, it was super sinful. And then he brings rain, and it floods from on high and below. Water comes up. And, and then we see this picture of decreation. God created, and now he destroys. And that's decreation as a result of sin. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to see this with me in Genesis chapter 9. It's going to be a lot. And this is a couple of verses after the conversation with Noah about this is after the flood has happened, after they're on dry land, after all this has taken place, and he's making this covenant with him. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 1 of Genesis, he says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Have we heard that before? We heard that with Adam, right? But now he's calling Noah to do the same thing. Again, because he's starting over. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. Don't eat raw stuff. That's gross. Um, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. So if anybody comes to kill you, I'm going to make sure they are taken care of. From every beast, I will require it from and for man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. For whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So we're visiting that thing I mentioned earlier. People's lives are human. I mean, they're, they're valuable. They reflect the glory of God. Verse 7, And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish with my covenant with you and your offspring after you and every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you and as many as come out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. So this covenant he's making is for all of creation, which we're going to come back to in a moment. He says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. And so what, what is the, the sign of that covenant? A rainbow, right? That's what we think. But that's not what the word says. The word says, I have set my bow in the cloud, and that shall be a covenant, a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, real quick, we say rainbow because that's what we would know. But this is the first time this thing's been thrown up in the sky. Okay? We don't know about it prior to this. And so if you're giving a point of reference to somebody trying to say it's this, what would it be for Noah? It would be a warrior's bow, right? This is the sign of this covenant. 
And why is that important? Well, where's the, the aim of the bow? To the heavens. And so what would happen, there's actually pictures like ancient art where you see the stronger group with the weaker group, the suzerain with the vassal. And there's a picture literally of a bow pointed to the stronger group in this picture of the covenant, implying that I will take the brunt of the vengeance if I do anything to harm you. Do you see the picture? God is saying, I will take it. I will fall on the sword. I will let the wrath come to me in this covenant, in this promise. It's pointed to heaven. And you need to know that's exactly what happened. God didn't break his end of the, of the covenant. We did. And Christ took that for us. You see, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful word picture. So every time you see the bow, you need to think not just like he's not going to flood the earth again. No, he's taken wrath from me. He's taken the wrath I deserve from me. That's why this picture is incredible. It says he took, put the bow up there. So he says, verse um, 14, so when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature and all the flesh and the, and the water shall never again become flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all earth that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And remember, his stipulation was, do you remember? Part of the bilateral piece, really it's unilateral, but bilateral, was that he's supposed to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to continue to grow this. Grow this group of people that I have saved and redeemed. Continue to multiply on the earth. The point of these covenants finds their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Each of these things are just signs pointing to an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. What was undone in Adam was restored in Christ. We see this in Romans chapter 5. The decreation of the flood will later experience a recreation in Christ. For all earth is groaning for this to take place, this recreation. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn in the New Testament with me. We're going to be landing the plane here in a second. So Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And in this section, you're going to see some aspects of your own life, some things that you too can see restored. Verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, word picture. This is me in word pictures. This is how I roll, right? Like, I'm, I'm not that smart, so I need picture pages, right, um, to kind of lock me in. And here's one of them. In my office is a photo that I took, me lying on my belly, and I've shared this with you guys before, of a thimble, okay? And I'm not lisping. I said thimble, not a symbol. It's both, really. Um, but it looks, because I zoomed in on it, that was a joke. Wake up. Golly. Like, you're making fun of my list, man. Um, but, but it looks like a, a giant trash can, a metal trash can. And then there's this expanse around that thimble. Here's the deal. Some of us will experience 75, 80 years on this planet. But compared to eternity, all the suffering that you'll ever face compared to that glory that's going to be revealed to us, 
it's just a thimble. It's just something that you put on the end of your finger when you sew. Notice this text. This is beautiful. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like, you need to know that this that you experience here, some of you had some really good Thanksgivings. I had a good Thanksgiving. I got to share it with, with friends of ours. It was awesome. The only thing is we didn't get any leftovers except for the, the cauliflower. Anyways, I mean, you know what I mean, right? It's painful. But like, track with me here. All the good that you've, you experienced these past few days with family, you need to know that that is not the best that there is. It's not the best. In fact, all the good that we will taste in this life is only a glimpse of the goodness of what God has promised for us in Christ. If you put all the good that you'll ever experience, for me, watching each of my kids be born, watching each of my kids take their first steps, watching each of my kids finally be potty trained, these are all things of goodness, right? But compared to eternity... They're just glimpses of the goodness I have waiting on me, the goodness you have waiting for you. Verse 19, this is where we kind of like merge together this picture from the fall and the flood. Verse 19 says this, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Like, When's that going to happen? We see in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So there's going to be a day where this stuff is revealed. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is a freedom coming. And right now, we only feel it, experience it spiritually, but there's going to be a physical freedom for us in Christ. And when that happens, not just us who are in Christ, but all creation will experience the beauty of that recreation and freedom. The earth has been waiting on this. Animals have been longing for this. Do you see, like, this is a picture of complete restoration that was broken at the fall. In the flood, you need to know that there is more. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It is important to recognize that the crazy and chaos around us is not all that there is in existence. God has more. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Like Christ gives us these first fruits. It comes from him. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, our full adoption. Like we, we've got like spiritual adoption. We've been adopted in Christ. We're co-heirs with him. We saw this in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 8. If you've read that before, that's true. But there is going to be a physical, as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, we too will rise and have bodily resurrection. And in that, we'll have the fullness of this adoption. It's the redemption of our bodies, it says, right? For in this hope, we are saved. 
In this hope of the revealing that we're going to experience, we are saved. So what is that that we get to experience? Why is that? It's because God sent his son. Because his son lived a sinless life. Because his son chose a tree and he died on it. Because his son defeated death, defeated the grave, and defeated Satan. We get to experience this by faith. We can have this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So again, for in this hope we are saved. Salvation is characterized by this hope, this thing that we anticipate. We don't see it, but we believe it. And now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? And this is so beautiful because this was like hyperlink. You ever, you know, hyperlinks, on, you're on a, reading a thing on a website, and there's a hyperlink, and you click on that hyperlink, it takes you somewhere else. Man, this is a place to hyperlink because you can go over to 1 Corinthians 13. And verse 13 says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, it says, is what? You ever think about that? When you're standing face to face with Jesus, you know what you don't need anymore? You don't need faith and you don't need hope. The only thing you need is what got you there. Love. We don't hope for what we see. But if we hope for what we do not see, this thing, this promise of him recreating, him restoring, we wait for it with patience which is really funny for my kids to hear me saying that I've got to be patient because I am the opposite. But let me tell you something. There will be a day when all the pain that you and I have ever experienced will find its ultimate end. And it will be an exclamation mark. And the covenant that God made with Adam that was broken and the one with Noah that's not broken, will be realized in Christ. We sang about it a few moments ago. But let me tell you something. That's going to be a day. I'm longing for it. Reminds me of my, my grandma Pollard. Her real name was Beulah Francis. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. There's going to be a day where we get to stand face to face. And these things are just like steps built on one another. And it starts with the Adamic covenant and then the Noahic covenant. Next week, the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to see how it ends in the person and work of Christ and how his spirit softens our hard hearts and draws us to be in relationship with him. And here's the thing. I know that some of you in this room, this isn't your truth. You have yet to trust Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to invite you. We, we have a couple of our elders here. And what they're going to do is they're going to come down front here in a moment. And if you want to know what it looks like to trust Jesus to save you, to redeem you, to trust the fact that God sent him, that he lived a sinless life on your behalf, that he rose from the dead, right? And that by faith you can have him. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come after the service as we dismiss Nathan um, and Kathy are going to be over here. Mike and Jody are going to be over here. And if you just need prayer, just come and just ask them. Just say, hey, what does that look like to trust Jesus that way? And they would love to pray with you and answer any of your questions. Let me pray for us.
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much just for your kindness, for your love that you have displayed. I praise you just for these words. I, I know it's thick and headsy, Lord God, but these are things that help us better understand what it means to to follow after you. And so, Father, for those in this room who have yet to trust you this way, I pray that your spirit would draw them to yourself. Lord God, give them the willingness to come forward and just talk to our elders and their wives and just, just ask the questions. And I just pray that you would do an uncommon work. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you today and, and you need to talk to somebody about it, you just got questions, please grab one of our elders. Mike and Jody, if you'd come down. Nathan and Kathy, if you would come down. Um, hey, church, we are so grateful that we get to serve alongside of you. It means more than you know. We love you. Have a great week.